Good afternoon, and welcome to Grappling with a COVID-Impacted Budget, the Art of Leaning Up While Staying Strong, a health system CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by Hewlett Packard Enterprise and Intel. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO, and I will be your moderator today. We're looking forward to some audience participation. Uh, you have the option of sending in your questions and comments in the Q&A box. We're also going to do a little poll later in the event, and uh, we think that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, so you get into the view that, that we like. Uh, click on the top center, get it into side-by-side -side mode. Then you could slide the divider and make sure it says speaker view in the top right-hand corner. Just so you see how we're gonna spend our time today, we're gonna to go about 35 to 40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring Chuck Podesta, interim CIO with Yukon Health, Neil Ganguly, VP of IT with Hackensack Meridian Health, and Steve Shim, HPE GreenLake, executive healthcare strategist with Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Let's jump right in. We got a lot of good stuff to talk about and a great panel, so I'm gonna jump right in. Uh, Chuck, let's start with you. Can you give us an overview of your organization and your role? Sure. Uh, thanks, uh, Anthony, and thanks everybody for taking time out of your busy days to, to be a busy day to be here. Um, I'm Chuck Vanessa. I'm the interim CIO at Yukon Health. Uh, I've been there since uh, January 31st, so I had about a two or three week um, getting level set and working on. Um, normal initiatives and then all of a sudden COVID hit. So that all went out the window, um, but happy to be there. Um, excited to, to be here today. Uh, UConn Health is an academic medical center in, in central Connecticut. Um, I'm in charge of the um, uh, John Hent Dempsey Hospital, which is the main academic medical center. Also the uh, School of Medicine and uh, School of Dentistry, a large school of dentistry uh, as well as clinical research uh, for UConn Health. And we're part of the uh, University of Connecticut system. Very good, thanks, Chuck. Uh, Neil? Hey, Anthony, uh, thanks for having me on today. I'm excited to be part of this panel, uh, certainly with Chuck as well. Uh, from my perspective, Hackensack Meridian Health is a $6 billion health system uh, located throughout New Jersey. We've uh, comprised of 16 hospitals, a freestanding medical school, uh, a research division, and about 500 care locations throughout the state. Uh, we're divided into three different regions, and we have a flagship academic medical center that uh, anchors each region. I'm the VP of IT, or one of the VPs of IT, uh, part of the IT leadership team. I have responsibility over the IT site managers at each of our campuses, as well as the IT project management office. And I work with the, my colleague, the VP of business applications in the, uh, pardon me, the preparation of the IT budget. Very good, thank you, Neil. Steve? Yes, hey, uh, uh, thank you, Anthony, and thank you, Chuck and Neil, for being on this uh, session today. So appreciate your participation. Um, you know, so you introduced me already as uh, uh, my ex executive healthcare strategist. Um, 
I'll just note that uh, I've spent the majority of my career outside of HPE on the healthcare provider side supporting university-based and uh, enterprise-based healthcare systems. So I certainly can identify with what uh, Neil and uh, Chuck will say today and, and the things and the challenges that you're going through. So um, yeah, I look forward to our discussion today. So let's jump into it. Very good. All right. Thanks, Steve. All right. We're going to go uh, first with you, Neil, on this. How has your FY20 capital and operational budget been impacted by COVID-19? Well, uh, you know, the, the first impact really hit us early in the year with the need to begin to move thousands of employees to a work from home model. So uh, we overall, we moved 3,000 people to work from home in late March, had to source uh, 2,000 Chromebooks and ramp up our teleconferencing platforms to be able to accommodate that volume of, of remote work. Uh, but in addition to that, we also rapidly, as I think Chuckle uh, expressed as well, saw the need to evolve how the hospitals were set up and migrate our medical sur med surge units over to critical care units and convert basically any open space we could into some form of a care delivery unit. Uh, so there was tremendous cost incurred in that and, and the fact that we had to do that very, very rapidly in an environment where we were competing for uh, resources with everybody else who was trying to do the same thing. Uh, I mean, one of the things that happened at our, our flagship site up at the north was we had to convert our employee cafeteria into a critical care unit, a 75-bed critical care unit in less than a week. Uh, so obviously at that point, we weren't really looking so much at the cost themselves. The, the mandate was to get it done, but then you sit back and look at the impact and, and it had a, a significant impact on our expenses for those couple of months as we evolved all of our hospitals at our, our nine major campuses. Chuck? Yeah, uh, very similar. We basically had to divert, you know, our capital and and operating funds that were that were dedicated to projects, you know, put a lot of those projects on hold, and then divert those funds to, you know, setting up the testing tents. Um, you know, call we had to uh, build a call center basically from from scratch. Um, uh, telecommuting, similar to what Neil was talking about, getting uh, over a thousand people to to work from home in a very short period of time. Uh, rolling out telehealth, which we did in a very short period of time as well. And then uh, surge beds, you know, we had uh, created four new nursing units um, and added an additional 300 beds across the institution, again, in a short period of time and all the equipment and everything that took place to get that. Um, what we're hoping is, and that really, our, our FY20 just ended. Um, the end of June. So we're in FY21 now, just starting. And um, so we ended up with a, a, a pretty good sized loss at the end of FY20, which we had actually balanced by using capital funds against our operating. Um, so now we really don't have the money to go back to the things that we were um, diverting to do uh, COVID. So we're hoping from the standpoint of FEMA funds and things like this, we kept track of all the spending that we did and we'll be submitting for those FEMA funds to kind of replenish our capital. If that doesn't happen, um, then a, a lot of the projects that we put off will 
be delayed even further. Very interesting. Steve, what are your thoughts around this? Yeah, so that's what we're hearing from our customer base as well. And, uh, and my colleagues that uh, their budgets from January 1 changed drastically, froze. You had to, you're only funded for what was absolutely necessary. And they're in the process of planning for FY21. And it's substantially different than what it's been in the last year, two years, three years. And so um, the strategy now is to how do you accomplish you know, these high priority projects and initiatives, right, with the reduction in operational capital funds. Yeah, it's absolute, uh, uh, you know, struggle to, uh, you know, going forward and every, everyone is looking at different options. Okay, we'll talk more about that. Um, Chuck, let's go with you on this. What new financial objectives do you have for FY21 and how do they differ from previous years? Oh, it's very different now. Um, and uh, the way we're looking, we, we've actually just started a financial improvement planning uh, process, which, you know, every year you have some of that going on, but not in the, sen not in the uh, sense of urgency that we have today. You know, we did end, end the year FY20 with a loss and we're projecting an even larger uh, loss uh, going uh, for this fiscal year. And so we've We've defined, you know, what that looks like, and uh, now we actually are putting teams together. We have a steering committee. Um, we have a financial improvement planning process. We're actually looking at it as our uh, phase two COVID, basically. It's, um, you know, we're in the Northeast here, so we're doing quite well with our COVID numbers. So we look at ourselves in kind of a post-COVID state. Um, not sure what's going to happen this fall, but Right now, we only have one patient. We only have one COVID patient. So we're rapidly trying to open up um, with our procedures. The ORs are all functioning, uh, getting close to 100%. So that's all uh, moving forward, but we still have this loss that we have to deal with. So the way we're viewing it is that we're switching from our sense of urgency around COVID and all the things we had to do there that I mentioned earlier to now all the things we have to do uh, to get ourselves back to um, back to a balance uh, from a budget perspective. And so there's three areas that we're focused on right now. Uh, one is revenue enhancement, certainly, uh, building that up. And, and a lot mm -hmm. of that is just getting open, getting 100% open again. Uh, that will, as fast as we can do that, will limit the losses. Of course, our cost savings initiatives. So we've got a bunch of those in play right now that we're starting. And then also uh, preserving cash. Uh, that's super important right now. So that we've got some initiatives around that as well. Very interesting. Very good stuff, Chuck. Uh, Neil? Uh, our experience is very similar to what Chuck is talking about. We have a, an enterprise committee at the senior executive level that's looking at what they're calling HMH 2.0 or Hackensack Meridian 2.0, uh, trying to evaluate what the organization should look like in a post-COVID world. Uh, trying to look at how we can focus more on remote delivery of care and things like that. Uh, similar to what Chuck is talking about, though, we're all dealing with the challenge of significant revenue loss from March through through now, even really, even though, like Chuck, we've opened up again and, and surgical volume is, is coming back and is close to where it was pre-COVID, but our 
EDs are still cruising at 50% or less volume and they're a big pipeline into the hospitals. So we're still seeing revenue hit there. I think the community at large still has a general fear about coming back into the hospitals, which is obviously quite understandable, but uh, there are efforts underway to help educate the community through marketing and uh, mm-hmm. through outreach with the physician practices, et cetera, to, to try and get people back in. Uh, we've got physician practices who you know, are, are really unsure whether they're gonna be able to reopen again, especially some of the ones that were community docs who were big feeders of our hospitals. And so there's a challenge there. Um, unlike Chuck, we're on a calendar year budget. So we're kind of just hitting, we just hit the midpoint of our fiscal year. And uh, obviously we took some big hits, but uh, we have also through our, our CFO and our finance division, they've had some borrowing facilities lined up and things like that to uh, ensure that we can carry through the rest of the year as uh, staying as whole as possible. We have deferred projects, uh, not typically clinical projects, uh, but things that were more back office type projects around our PeopleSoft suite, where we were going to implement a lot of new modules this year. We've had to defer those to next year. Uh, And then we are looking uh, like Chuck and his team are as well at rationalization opportunities, cost savings opportunities uh, to see what we can do. We're just getting into our fiscal year 21 budgeting cycle now. Uh, normally we would do that throughout the summer and then put a budget together that would get approved by the board in the uh, early fourth quarter. But because of the fear of COVID uh, second wave, we've accelerated all that and we have to get our budgets in by uh, the end of the summer. So that's kind of providing a, a real challenge as well, just to evaluate and put some real governance into understanding what's critical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, right. The governance is key. It's always been key, right? And it's 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 uh, as much as ever, or even more so. So, I think we'll talk more about that. Uh, Steve, your thoughts on what's been said? Yeah, as we uh, had a chance to briefly discuss as we uh, got prepared for this, um, you know, COVID really is evolving. Uh, there is, uh, it's just not going to go away at the snap of a finger, and uh, uh, even with all the efforts going on. And so the the future is murky, and this is really complicating uh, what organizations have done with the whatever allocations they've had left in FY20 and also planning for FY21. Because uh, in many ways, you're, you're trying to, uh, you know, you're trying to implement productive changes to maximize the funds that are available. Yet, you don't want to lose that, those funds, right? Because uh, there is the absolute risk that this COVID will continue to move in the wrong direction and impact further in a way that's unanticipated even today. Your, you know, your financial situation. So you know, we see uh, organizations making some very difficult decisions on uh, how they would like to move forward if they want to, you know, uh, uh, try to get it out all at once or if they want to take a, um, a, a more different approach to um, addressing, you know, technology needs and supporting HIT. It's interesting times. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right, Neil, let's start with you on this. Um, have you engaged in furloughs as an organization and how has that impacted the IT team? Our organization has not engaged in furloughs uh, at this point, And we're very lucky to be in a position to be able to do that. Our, our senior leadership is 
you know, philosophically opposed to the idea, but obviously as, as things evolve and, and losses mount, I'm sure that'll have to be something that all organizations evaluate in a real-time basis. Uh, thus far, the approach we have taken is uh, to be very, very careful with new hiring. Uh, so for instance, in IT, we have uh, quite a large number of vacancies and uh, many of those we're kind of putting on hold now. We're evaluating what are mission critical positions that we just can't live without versus things that we could defer. And uh, there is an organizational committee that's looking at that uh, as a key way to help defer some of the impact uh, that we're facing. But like I said, no furloughs at this point, and, and I think we're very fortunate to be in that position. Very good, Chuck. Uh, we actually instituted furloughs. Um, we did not have a, a lot of time before between COVID hitting and, you know, our new fiscal year. So from a budgeting perspective, um, you know, it was a race to the finish line. And so some things were just needed to be mandated. And actually it's across not only UConn Health, but all of uh, the university system uh, with furloughs. And, and the, um, the impact has been, they've done it in the past. So um, it's not something new to the organization. So that part, um, it's not like a shock where people are wondering what, what that means. And they've been through it before. So the impact has not been that great. Um, the benefit actually of it is that uh, in the past, they've done it in a way of, of uh, eliminating or uh, reducing the potential of layoffs and people know that. So when they see furloughs come in, they view that as a way of avoiding, uh, it's a step in the right direction to avoid layoffs, which is the real, would be the real concern or the real fear of, of the staff and of management team as well and in IT and across the organization. So, um, so this is a way to kind of spread the pain and, and, and lessen that chance. So people get that part. Steve, what, what are your thoughts on furloughs as a, a tool uh, that can be used by organizations to get through an interim step? Um, do you th uh, is, what do you think that sometimes they're necessary? Can they be effective? And is there a way to go about them you know, from a selective point of view so they're not as painful as they might be from, from a, an operational point of view? Yeah, so, uh, you know, that is, you know, unfortunately, in the way that COVID hit uh, was a necessary evil for just, uh, you know, most of the organizations that uh, we are talking to. And so, uh, and not only that, these furloughs have evolved to ultimately layoffs and uh, mm -hmm. cut budget. And, uh, you know, there is absolutely... Um, you know, impact the organization, being able to support your operations uh, in an appropriate level. Uh, you know, there are there are challenges, and you have to make some pretty difficult decisions as you now back off your team to and, and really determine what you need to focus on and right and what you're going to put on the back burner. So that's a that's a difficult process. You know, I empathize with my colleagues that go through that. Absolutely necessary uh, in this case. You know what I, I I think about is really as you go forward, as we you know take baby steps to get back to a normal or a new normal, right? The question becomes: Is are we going to build up in the way that we were previously uh, staffed and organized, or are we going to really target new um, 
you know, new objectives, new skill sets, uh, and, and evolve because of this uh, uh, pandemic. And so I think there is absolutely the opportunity to do that. And, you know, things that, uh, that we've had to innovate here during the pandemic is actually absolutely driving that now. And if we look past that and our opportunities as an industry, there's, there's, there, there's uh, key things that we should consider as we move forward. Yeah, and we'll talk more about that. It's it's difficult though, right? Because as we were saying, it's murky. I think you used the word murky, figuring out what the future is going to look like. Um, and so it could go, you could go a number of ways. You could have a, a vaccine that's rolled out and it, it's over. At some point, it's over and we're all back to normal. Or you could have a completely different future where that never really happens. And depending on the investments you make now, you know, where's your bet? Or are you going to bet somewhere in the middle? So, and that's what leadership is. Leadership is trying to figure out which way we're going to go. So that's, that's what, that's what people get paid the big bucks. But um, we'll talk more about that. Uh, Steve, um, let's talk about high priority projects that may have been deferred. What are you hearing out there in terms of what types of projects uh, have been deferred or, or, or could be deferred? Yeah, so I think uh, Chuck and Neil really uh, uh, touched on this, right? So absolutely, uh, you know, projects impact the core operations or patient care services, uh, such as your electronic health record, uh, your ER, ERP. You know, there are absolutely the ones that have to operate, and you know, those where funding continues to, to be available. It's really the secondary applications and ones that. Uh, either have a probably a not so good solution in place that are getting impacted. So, you know, this is particularly uh, uh, troublesome for organizations that have now been in a growth mode, right? So part of growing and acquisitions is to, um, and to achieve cost savings is to standardize on enterprise-wide deployments of applications, whether it be PACs or ERP or other, right? And this helps to reduce the level of effort uh, reduce costs associated with that. And now what happens is that you need funding for that to get over, over the, the hump, right? And this is where a lot of organizations are just stalled, right? And getting access to uh, the resources, to technology, to get to the other side quickly so you can get those savings um, is, is uh, an issue uh, for, for many organizations. So yeah, it is, um, um, these, uh, you know, the high priority projects stay intact, but the ones that are, you know, secondary and that there's not so good options to support are, are just not moving forward. You know, it's, it sounds easy, maybe on paper, but Chuck, um, why don't you take this first? So the, what I'm thinking is that you have to, you have your budget's been shrunk to such a point that you look at, at what you can do or what has to be left off. And there are things on there you say, we can't not do this. Right, we can't do it because we don't have the money, but we can't not do it and operate. That's when things get really difficult and challenging. Um, so, what are your right. thoughts there? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it really has to have an ROI, which may not be savings. It could be, you know, regulatory uh, that sort of thing. And uh, for example, we have a our poli our policies and procedures are all over the place, and like a lot of organizations and. Um, so we were in dire need of a policy management system. And it's been put on hold for years and years and years. 
But finally, you know, we have to have it. We've got Joint Commission coming in. Um, they will, uh, will definitely get hit on that at some point. So, you know, the organization's viewing it as a compliance issue. And we've got to get this particular project done. So the resources are being put to bear to do it. So there are some areas where you just have to do it to keep the business running and keep yourself compliant. But there are a lot of other areas where, yeah, it just falls by the wayside, as Steve was saying. I mean, for me, when I got here, I really looking at, there's actually not so much even um, projects. It's more about structure. Uh, there, our IT governance needs a lot of work. And mm -hmm. so I was really focused on really standing up IT governance. Our PMO is non-existent. We have project managers that are distributed. We're, we're need to bring in a director of the PMO and build that up as part of governance. We need to do an infrastructure assessment. The CTO uh, left in December before I started. So we're in dire need of an infrastructure assessment to look at all of our you know, disaster recovery and uh, our cloud strategy and things like that. Infrastructure, uh, not uh, infrastructure, but informatics. I wanted to start focusing on some of that as well and building that out. And, and all that stuff I really had to put on hold when COVID hit. Some of that I can bring back, but I have to be very selective on that because I need people's time for IT governance for to set up the P, PMO, and they're focusing on opening the organization. And so it's not just capital and operating expenditures, it's people as well, and what their focus is on in getting their attention to, to work on some of these things. Very, very interesting. Um, Neil, uh, you mentioned before talking about financing uh, organizations having to go out and make sure that they, they can pay the bills, so to speak, and get these kind of things done. So uh, if you've got that pile of projects that needs to get done and the money that, that you're being handed to do it doesn't match up and all the projects are mission critical, that's when you go get financing and get the budget increased? Is it something like that? Well, I, I think it really comes back to governance, as we were talking about earlier. Uh, you have to have a, a good discipline at the enterprise level, and HMH is a growing organization, as Chuck was mentioning, or I think maybe it was Steve who was mentioning, as some of these organizations that are in growth mode or are trying to drive through standardization and things like that, uh, you find you've got a lot of investments that have to be made to standardize. And we're no different. We just got through rolling out Epic at all of our hospitals. We got through rolling PeopleSoft out at all of our hospitals. And now we're finally retrenching to get into an optimization mode, right, to take advantage of some of the functionality that uh, we'd like to uh, really drive forward using these new tools. Uh, and then also to look at then all of this suite of other applications that sits outside of the world of Epic or PeopleSoft, you know, PAX, uh, other ancillary systems, uh, all have opportunities tied to them to standardize and have long-term cost savings opportunities perhaps, but you've got to make some big investments up front. And so ultimately, this has got to be packaged up and put in front of senior leadership so they can make some decisions. Uh, for us right now, we have decided to defer some of those things because the cost right now to do, deploy some of these PeopleSoft enhancements and different modules or to uh, continue rolling out some of our things around packs. Uh, it, it makes a little more sense for us to push those things off 
while we reevaluate and understand what the financial position is going to be later in the year. Uh, much like what Chuck was saying earlier too, we're obviously hoping that the federal government will come in and through FEMA and other funds help uh, or perhaps through forgiveness for some of the advances with Medicare uh, reimbursements and things like that, that will will not be in as big a hole as we might be if those things don't materialize. But uh, our finance division and our CFO are, are very focused on ensuring that what has been defined as a critical projects for the organization will be funded and that there is a very active governance structure that looks at things in real time and, and kind of evaluates then what's necessary. Uh, you know, if it's outside the scope, then they may have to go get financing, but so far they've been able to do all that within the, uh, the financing packages they've defined. So Neil, sometimes the order is reversed. I mean, usually it's, we come up with a budget and, and that's the money that you have to work with. But in other cases, it can be we come up with the projects we must do, and then we go find the money. It could go either way. Yeah, I mean, I think right now, that's a little bit of the state we're in. We're still seeing a lot of demand coming for projects that are, are labeled as COVID-related projects. Uh, you know, Chuck talked about telehealth, and we've been doing a lot of that, but they've been rapidly expanding telehealth. Uh, there are issues around occupational health and how are we going to track our employees uh, who have been impacted by COVID or how are we going to measure the health of these employees as they come back into the site. And so people are proposing tools that would help do that, but these tools all come with certain costs. And so we have to evaluate those in real time and then not IT governance necessarily, but uh, operational governance that has to decide, okay, well, if we're going to fund this, then what are we not going to fund? And, mm -hmm. and that's a hard decision that has to be made. And if we want to fund it all, someone's got to go get the money, right? Right. So, very interesting. All right, uh, Steve, let's go with you on this. Um, has IT reorganized as a result of COVID? What are you hearing out there? Yeah, so, you know, uh, where most organizations are engaging in um, staff reduction, uh, furloughs and whatnot, there is also a corresponding restructuring of IT going, uh, that many organizations that we talk to are involved with. And uh, <clears throat> in many cases, there's turnover too. So Chuck, you mentioned uh, you know, CTO uh, flipping. I'm not sure if that was exactly related to COVID or not. But uh, so there is, you know, challenges with uh, uh, staffing, uh, retaining staff, uh, acquiring good, highly qualified staff that is uh, uh, and now a challenge, it always has been a challenge for the healthcare community. Uh, and you know, ultimately uh, what we're finding is as these changes are going on, um, organizations in many cases are paralyzed you know, in making decisions on how to move forward. Uh, developing budgets for FY21, getting those allocations and, and really deciding what is the best way uh, to move forward. And so that, uh, you know, we see as new leadership comes in and uh, taking the time when there is no time available to really understand uh, the environment in, in this situation uh, in that. Again, I look at um, this, you know, the new leadership coming in really has more of a, what we see is a different skill set, a broader skill set that uh, will integrate, um, you know, not only what healthcare has done historically, um, and, and I would say that's more than a legacy approach uh, to IT, but more of a 
uh, distributed edge cloud uh, type of uh, mentality and um, uh, mindset. So that that part is very good, but we see that you know all happening with you know these uh, reorganizations going on. Chuck, um, you know, we, we Steve touched on the concept that you can only do so much at once. So the, even though you may have the opportunity to reinvent IT and restructure IT and reimagine it, organ, reorganize it, that just may not be the reality in terms of your time and your ability to do that. So what can you do? Is, is, it, a, is it a chance to restructure a little bit, to reimagine things a little bit, or is it just you can't? You can't make a turn when you're moving 100 miles an hour. No, I, I you know, I agree with Steve. I, you really have to do both. Um, and, and the way we're looking at it, I'm actually in a reorganization mode right now. Some of that's part of the financial improvement plan, right? Um, using benchmarking um, to take a look at the organization. Also, uh, taking a look at it from the standpoint of how the customer views us. And you know, IT organizations uh, over time organically grow in different directions and you create these uh, areas that have, you know, over time may have no meaning anymore. And you've got mm -hmm. managers in those areas and people in those areas. And so you've got to look at your, with the new normal now in telecommuting, um, you know, that's one area, you know, you've got to beef up your security. So take a look at your security team. What does that look like? How are you handling you know, you've got a thousand, two thousand, five thousand people working remotely, you know, with their home networks and uh, their home computers, uh, depending on, um, you know, how you roll this thing out. You've got to you've got to lock that down. And so you need to start and they're going to be that that way probably for a long period of time, maybe forever. And so you've got to start looking at your organization based on the new normal you know, things that happened during COVID. You know, it was really nice to see teams pull together focused on this common enemy and get things done rapidly with, you know, not a lot of complaining, right, by your staff and, and your and your leadership. Everybody's focused on doing this. But you do see warts in your organization that come out because of because of that. And you want to attack those as well and take a look at those and look at those as opportunities uh, to change, you know, going forward. So I, I think and, and also take advantage of of the goodwill that IT has built up with our stakeholders. I mean, I, I know at UConn Health and I've talked to other CIOs that it's kind of the first time that the stakeholders across the organization really see the power of IT because all the things they needed to do from, you know, setting up the tents and surge, uh, you know, new beds and uh, telehealth and all those things required uh, IT to turn around um, the project quickly and turn and get results quickly and you know telecommuting moving people out of the organization within a week you know they saw how what we could actually do and how important we were to the organization so you want to take advantage of that goodwill and and reinvent the organization to to not lose that momentum and think long term about it excellent points neil what are your thoughts I agree with uh, Chuck and Steve. Uh, one of the challenges I do see on the goodwill side is though that uh, a lot of folks in the organization then kind of begin to expect that IT's incredible delivery pace is the normal delivery pace now. 
<laughs> so you have to find out some ways of managing that demand effectively. Uh, and, you know, again, that kind of comes back to governance, but uh, ultimately our challenge really is around prioritization. You know, in terms of reorganization, uh, the HMH IT division was in the midst of a slow reorganization. HMH as an organization itself is relatively young, uh, less than five years old, and uh, we've been growing by acquisition over the last few years. Uh, so we are constantly kind of in this evolutionary mode. Uh, we did have a number of initiatives planned for this year uh, that would allow us to beef up our governance, much like Chuck has been trying to do, uh, and have a better project intake. While we do have a robust PMO, uh, we don't have a great prioritization model for uh, dealing with the volume that comes to it. Uh, nor do we have a great model right now for, for then dealing with how we manage all the external PMs that are brought in when the internal PMO uh, it runs out of bandwidth. So we're pushing back a lot saying that the, as an organization, we've got to prioritize that we only have so much in our well here in terms of resources. And if we continue to push them at the pace we push them from March through now, uh, they're not going to be able to sustain it and we're going to lose the good people and find that our ability to deliver services will will decline. And I don't think that's what anybody wants. And the organization acknowledges that, but the demands still remain high. And I think we see that just as an ongoing challenge, that demand management piece uh, and how do we organize IT to effectively meet that. Very good. All right, uh, Steve, let's start with you. Are there different or new skill sets necessary to effectively navigate the pandemic? Uh, one of the previous webinars we did, the point was made that, uh, you know, what might have been tolerated before in terms of someone that was uh, averse to change, uh, not able to be nimble, that doesn't work anymore. Those kind of people just cannot survive in a, IT, in a healthcare IT department shop uh, anymore. A, a CIO cannot put up with those individuals. Uh, what are your thoughts, Steve? Yeah, so, you know, this is a, it's an exciting time for, you know, for IT because the demand for the services and what we provide is just growing exponentially. And this is because of the type of services that are available, especially cloud-based, public cloud-based. So we as an IT team now, um, are really have to take a role of a broker, right? We have to be able to make available everything from core infrastructure supported with internal staff or on-prem to cloud-based uh, functionality and capability. And so um, what I see how we are evolving is that uh, uh, not only we need to have a foot in both and we need to get help to rebalance how we accomplish that mission. Uh, but ultimately, you know, the, the really, the, we need to enable ourselves to be a broker of a great many more services that is in demand uh, by our organization. So, um, yeah, you know, there's, uh, so you need skill sets, not only managing uh, core technology, but you need to really go a level up, right? We need to support that along with making available services that are generally available by the cloud that should be made available through our teams, right? And this is something that, you know, we can have a control point, we can have uh, uh, 
monitoring and really, uh, you know, intelligence around what is happening, how that is being delivered, um, be able to draw uh, service levels around that in, and productively use it uh, in our organization. This is beyond other things in, in technology that's being driven. VDI obviously is, is you know, there's, there's absolute skill sets that need to be driven by that. Telehealth, and this is beyond just video conferencing. It's all the integration and the workflow that will make telehealth uh, uh, productive. And then, you know, you know, again, you know, cloud enable and becoming a broker for a great many more services. Neil, what do you think of that concept of being a broker? I, I think it rings true. Uh, so I do agree with what Steve is saying. Uh, I still also weigh that against the need to be able to prioritize what the services are, to be able to educate the people on what services are going to matter for them. Uh, what we find a lot now, especially in times of crisis, is that everybody on the operational side has an idea that's going to make their lives better or, or their team's lives better. But we as IT have to act as a uh, convener of those ideas to be able to then look at them at an enterprise level and make sure that we're then prioritizing those uh, in light of what's available to us from a resource standpoint. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think that's always been a challenge. I think that's something that uh, we all struggle with as IT leaders, governance within IT, governance within the operation. But the pandemic has really put that into high gear. And so we've got to be very, very rapid in terms of our ability to intake these ideas and rapidly then communicate enough uh, information and, and education back out to these requesters to put things in a context and then to have the governance group be able to react to that quickly. And so that's, that's kind of new for us. Uh, you know, we're, we're used to having a lot of committees and, and people getting together to do things and, and things can take weeks to get through. And now they're looking for things to happen in days. Uh, and we're still learning how to do that. Uh, but I think... <laughs> We're we're doing the best we can. I think we're doing a decent job at it uh, thus far. Uh, but you know, just uh, as an aside, you know, this whole concept for us, at least, of entirely moving our IT division to remote working and many of our back office divisions to remote working has been a huge challenge. Uh, some organizations that are more decentralized may be accustomed to working that way, but we really were were more accustomed to working in a face-to-face -face model. And so some of that informal communication that uh, you have, the water cooler type conversations that can yield a lot of interesting knowledge as to what's going on. And, and uh, you know, when you're sitting in a meeting, when you nudge the person next to you and you make a side comment, well, we can't do that on a Zoom meeting, right? And so some of that's missing and we have to learn how to pick some of that back up too. Because I think that's an important part of our our functioning as social beings and our uh, able, uh, ability to deliver value within our organizations. Really good point, Neil. Thank you. Uh, Chuck? Yeah, Neil is really touching on what, what I would say is, is, the, is culture. And, and we need to change our culture to get to the new normal here. And you mentioned it earlier, you know, I, uh, we can't afford to have profits of doom anymore in our departments. And that's what I call them. And we know who they are and what they're like. You know, they yeah. walk into a room and the lights go off. They darken a room. <laughs> and and, uh, it, and we know those people. And we can't afford to have those folks anymore, especially telecommuting. 
you know, we've got to we've got to be strong on networking. So when you're hiring people, they're going to be really strong. Uh, they enjoy networking with their um, with their coworkers. And, you know, job descriptions kind of go out the window a little bit here because you've got to be willing to back up your coworker, um, support them uh, in in ways that you might nor- not normally do, whether you are on site or in telecommuting. And, um, you know, there's ways to promote that. Also, as a leader, you know, we have to make sure we have a secure environment where uh, they can say what's on their mind um, because they, especially in telecommuting, where they could be working alone for long periods of time. You need to have that outlet where they it's safe to come up with opinions and ideas and things like that and not be, you know, yes people to the management uh, team. And then the third piece is the sense of, you've got to give them a sense of belonging, especially again, telecommuting, they're by themselves. They need to understand where the organization, where the IT organization is going, you know, this week, next week, next year, and also where the organization is going this week, next week, next year, and how they fit into that because again they're sitting in a room by themselves in some cases and you've got to connect them back to the organization in a way so so culture is is going to be huge going forward and building the right culture for that that new normal workforce i remember you talking to me about this chuck years ago how important it was for you that someone you were bringing on uh was interested in bonding with the team and if they showed you that that was not part of their makeup, that was not someone you wanted working with you, no matter how good their skill set. Right. Right, exactly. So is uh, that, but is it is it harder now? Because as Neil mentioned, the face-to-face isn't there. So I guess you just still want the same dynamic, but they have to do it virtually. Right, but what you where, the way you get to that is, how are you going to hire these people in the first place? Before it was come in, You'd meet with them, sit down with them. You can get a feel for them from the standpoint of networking, right? And you could ask questions around that and get get them engaged in that way. Well, now it's you've got to do virtual hiring. So now you've got to get skilled in virtual hiring because you want to be able to get that same individual who's now going to be telecommuting to engage with others that they may not meet physically uh, for long period for a long period of time, and so it's a different uh, maybe types of questions that you're going to need to ask and maybe a different background that you're looking for uh, from an individual um, in a virtual hiring type of mode. Um, so it's, it's going to take a lot of thought. I, I, you know, I, I think people really need to sit back and say, you know, this new normal is it's going to be very, very different. And we've got to use, you know, we've got to create the cultures in a way that by physically distancing ourselves, we don't lose those things. And hiring people in, we want to find ways to make sure that they're going to be able to network even in a remote way. And so virtual hiring, in my mind, is going to be a, a huge skill to have, um, whether it's your HR department or, or your managers. So Anthony, I'll just add to that. All right. Know, yeah, go ahead, Steve. To work with, uh, um, you know, uh, pure technology companies, right? And so, um, it's interesting, right, to see how uh, technology companies and much of uh, uh, many other industries have moved to really a distributed environment, especially for IT staff. And so I've always uh, you know, asked the question is why has health IT or healthcare not necessarily made this same change? And you know, I equate that to 
really the, the culture of healthcare, right? So the culture is driven you know, primarily by the patient care services. You work arm to arm, elbow to elbow, shoulder to shoulder, take care of patients. And that transcends to all of the support departments, including IT. And so uh, what I would suggest here is that, you know, um, you know, some of the most, you know, most of the most successful uh, companies, IT companies, uh, you know, are very virtual and very distributed uh, and, and obviously very successful. Mm -hmm. All right, we've got a couple audience questions. I'm going to push you guys to the limit here. I'm going to keep you a few more minutes because we got some good stuff I still want to get to. Uh, first question, is IT financial reengineering top of mind within your organization moving from, such as moving from CapEx to OpEx? Chuck? Yeah, I mean, uh, right now we are, um, I mean, we're definitely focused on the OpEx side of, of things right now and limiting CapEx. But, you know, things that we're looking at right now is all of our contracts, application portfolio management right now, going through all of those and looking at um, applications that, you know, we don't need anymore, or can we renegotiate the contract in some way to save us some money? Um, we're also accelerating our archiving uh, programs as well. Every organization has all these old systems that they're in the middle of archiving and they're paying, you know, uh, maintenance fees for the old system and the new system at the same time. And uh, so we're accelerating that too, to get off of those old systems and saving money there. Um, and that's in, and uh, we've also got a soft freeze going on as well. It's up at clinical positions. Um, and we're just coming up with a lot, and we have targets set for across the organization, all the departments. But we're also looking on the revenue side as well, expanding telehealth. That is huge. We're putting, a, we're going to put a lot of emphasis on that and, and resources into that and getting that. Uh, we, we've done a survey of uh, our patients and 30% of them, uh, even post-COVID, would still like to use telehealth as much as they possibly can. So we're looking at that as, you know, that's our green light uh, to get moving in those directions. So that's just a kind of a few ideas where, from a financial area, we're, we're attacking. All right, very good. I'm going to put out our audience poll real quick because I would just be very sad if I didn't get to do that. Uh, so there's the audience poll. Health system IT budgets will be reduced by more than 10% as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. So go ahead, take a minute to answer that, and we will look at the results. We'll have our panelists guess at the results. Always one of my favorites. Neil, I'm going to put the next audience question in front of you. Do you anticipate leveraging consultants in a different way to address staffing and budget budgetary shortfalls or shortages related to COVID? Well, I think that consultants are a necessary part of the process. Uh, we have been using them as a backfill for the fact that we're, we're down quite a bit in terms of our staff, but that's a very expensive way for us to manage. So in general, our goal is looking to see where we can show a clear return on investment from staffing the position uh, to put those things in front of our leadership to say, hey, look, there's a real ROI here and we should reduce our consulting use where possible. Uh, so, you know, I don't see where it adds sort of a, from the budget standpoint, any advantage to us by using consultants, but 
Uh, they are necessary because we're resource constrained right now. And when we're trying to manage demand, one of the things we do is make sure that our customers understand that if we're going to go ahead and pursue an initiative that we can't support internally with our existing resources, what the cost of those contractors would really be. And then try and understand whether or not it may be worth deferring that initiative to a time when we can use internal resources to, to accomplish it at a lower cost point. Very good. All right. Let's, uh, let's get to the audience poll. Anybody else wants to vote real quick? Give you a few more seconds. Okay. All right. We have the poll results. So I'm going to have everybody guess. Now I want just the percentage agree. Okay. What percentage agree that the IT, IT budgets are going to be reduced by more than 10%. Uh, Steve. Yeah, I'll take the uh, uh, you know the risk here and say uh, I think a hundred percent are above ten percent. Hundred percent, hard to go over that, Chuck. <laughs> I would say, I mean, if you're, you're talking about both capex and opex, I would say ninety percent. Ninety percent, Neil. I'm going to be optimistic and take eighty percent. <laughs> oh boy, we got a winner, Mr. Neil Ganguly. The answer is 83% sharing the results right now. 83%, Neil, you win a prize. It's coming in the mail. Don't I'll call me it. if you don't get it. All right, don't just don't call me. All right, very good. Listen, uh, yeah, we're going to have to wrap it there. Uh, what an excellent, excellent conversation. Um, fantastic, I really appreciate it. Regarding in continuing education, you can use the final slide in this deck. You'll get an email when the on-demand recording of today's event is ready. If you want to sponsor an upcoming event with Health System CIO, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team, and you can go to our website to register for upcoming webinars. So with that, I very much want to thank, well, you know what? I'm going to give Steve one more chance, 30 seconds, Steve. Final piece of advice for CIO listeners concerned about dealing. This could be very unpleasant. First of all, I'd always wondered that, is this an extremely unpleasant environment to work in when budgets are shrinking and there's all this pressure? So that's a quick question. And then your, your quick advice on how best, and just some bullet point advice for the, for the listeners today. Sure, sure. So uh, you know, first of all, uh, let me just start out saying that I'm very optimistic about uh, what uh, the future holds for health IT because uh, we are taking, we're going to answer these challenges. We're going to evolve and then it's going to really enhance what we are able to do for our, our patients, our community um, as a result of this pandemic. Um, you know, the one thing I'll say, I did, which I didn't talk too much about uh, today was, you know, HPE, you know, you know our company is uh, uh, because we provide much of the technology powered by uh, health IT or health IT, consumed by health IT. But, um, you know, we've also made a commitment to uh, make available on a consumption basis all of our services by 2022. So, when we, Chuck, when you talk about uh, cash preservation, right, this is now facilitating access to really a, a huge complement of, you know, uh, edge of cloud technology on a consumption basis in a way that you'd like to see it on-prem, in the cloud, on a colo. So these are options that uh, are, have not, you know, healthcare historically has been uh, slow to adopt, but it's accelerated in other industries. And so, you know, from that perspective, we are in healthcare always like to look at other industries to say, you know, what's happening, 
where are we headed? Where are the opportunities? And so um, I think this is, again, one area that is going to be, uh, is going to grow within healthcare. And um, so, you know, with that, I would say that, uh, you know, among other things, uh, you know, driving adoption levels of uh, these types of services is going to uh, be pervasive uh, going, going forward. Reduce total cost of ownership, um, mm-hmm. have access to the technology you need, and you know, most of all, and, and again, uh, what we've mentioned today is optimize cash flow and uh, uh, reduce uh, uh, and, and preserve cash. So, yeah, those are some of the things I would just uh, sort of uh, you know close on and uh, promote to think about. And you know, mm-hmm. these are options that everyone ought to consider if you have not looked at those. So I'll, I'll leave Very you there, good, Steve. Thank. Awesome. Thank you. All right. So with that, I want to thank our panel, Chuck Podesta, Neil Ganguly, Steve Shim, and I want to thank our sponsors, Hewlett Packard Enterprise and Intel. And I want to thank you, our audience, for joining us. With that, everybody, have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you.